0: Today is Sunday, August 6, 2017. This is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, and I am Larry H. Russell. The long-awaited off-season in-review broadcast is now on course to take place and being appraised by not just yours truly, but also B-Ball Breakdown's Coach Nick on episode number 221 of Celtics Beat being presented by today's sponsor, Audible. With an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more, get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial at audible.com slash Celticsbeat. A good time to reflect on what was unquestionably the busiest summer in Boston since the famed summer of 07. Not only do most of us hope the fruits will be as sweet as they were a decade ago, but dare we simply ask, Coach Nick, and everyone, how much better did the Celtics even get?
1: It's a really, really great question. Probably the, one of the best questions you can ask on this offseason season because there's a lot of moves going on there. And um, you know, when you add someone like Gordon Hayward, you're, you're better. Like I would say, you're better uh, with him versus Avery Bradley in the lineup. In theory, although I know the defensive stuff is really important for them, especially with Isaiah Thomas. So, uh, but I think in the in the uh, if you take enough steps back, you realize that yes, they are better on that end. Uh, I like the Morris uh, thing, except that now they have an, an even bigger glut in the forward position. And so you suddenly give uh, Brad Stevens a lot, like you know, more of a of a puzzle to have to solve. And I would imagine the first like two months or might be a little bit wonky until he can figure it out.
0: Well, oh, that's been the theme going around. It's actually, I haven't had anyone, Coach Nick, Coach Nick of B-Ball Breakdown youtube.com dot slash Breakdown. You're the first person who said I like the Marcus Morris edition. So, I, please sell me on Marcus Morris.
1: Well, you know, he's got a certain sense of, you know, toughness. He's played, uh, you know, for a few teams now and probably better understands the importance of his role and might, might not, you know, bristle at that like he might have earlier in his career. Uh, and I would have no doubt Brad Stevens can figure out how to make it work. And, I mean, it it kind of sounds like the starting lineup is interesting to me here because if, it, if the, the team remains intact the way it is now – Um, If you bring Morris off the bench, like that's a really good position for him to be in where he can be, you know, a a, a good scoring forward for you. And then you can still have guys like, you know, Crowder in the starting lineup and and do some damage there.
0: How much could he fill that Kelly Olenek role? I assume he's coming off the bench. I assume he's going to be someone who can stretch the floor. They don't have really anyone off the bench with that size that can do so. On a percentage scale or on a 1 to 10 scale, how much could he fill that role?
1: Well, it's interesting because the Olympic thing, I was always really high you on him.
0: Very big on him. That breakdown yeah. in January, man, where you demanded more minutes. We know Brad Stevens. watched that video.
1: Well, I don't know if he did, but you know, certainly people in the you know probably probably did. But nonetheless, they see the same stuff I'm seeing, and in fact, I'm sure he saw it before I did, so I was probably late. But either way, um, I looked at the numbers because Olympic in the regular season, actually when he was on, was a negative point four. When he's off, the team was plus five point four. So that wasn't necessarily indicative of much. However, in the playoffs, he was a plus one, and when he was off, the team was a negative five point three. So that, to me, showed me that they, there was some real value to him. He played very well in the playoffs for them and was very versatile in a way that Morris can still give you that. Uh, I don't know defensively if he can really handle um, any kind of big guy like Olenek could conceivably handle because of the he's just bigger and, and you know, just bigger as physically. Um, but – There's no question that Morris does give you a little bit more variation, a little bit more, like, you know, maybe attack on the dribble kind of stuff that Olenek did. It's a totally different look, bottom line. Olympic was a better passer, though, and was probably a better help defender. So... It's a real question. I might still say Olenek was something that they're not quite covering yet uh, with his absence.
0: What about shooting, though? I think that's really what it comes down to. If Morris can shoot, because actually Olenek really did not shoot the ball well last year. We think of him as a good shooter. He he did not have a really great year shooting beyond the arc, but nonetheless, he did spread the floor. Is Morris going to be able to do that?
1: I think so. I mean, I think he's a solid three-point shooter, and I think that in this offense, with the way they drive and kick and force closeouts, um, if he will uh, accept that that style – then I would anticipate him getting more open shots, and and so yeah, I, I would think that that would be what happens, and I think he would be able to knock them down with some regularity. Again, enough to keep the defense uh, half a step closer to him than not.
0: Okay, that's good enough to hear. Although I didn't like, I didn't really like necessarily hearing if he will accept that role. That that is is you just saying that is hypothetical, or is that actually something I have to worry about, or any other stuff well, for that matter? You
1: know. Maybe don't worry about it because Brad Stevens has some sort of magic elixir to do that. But, uh, you know, it's like Contavious Caldwell-Pope also played for the the, the Pistons last year and for several years and was underachieving from the three-point line. And I can't figure out why because his mechanics look good and everything should be a lot better. It's a lot about shot selection. And I have a feeling that the dysfunction of the Pistons probably uh, affected that where guys were trying to, like, get their own. They weren't really playing like a team. And I feel like once KCP gets to the Lakers, and I, I, I kind of feel like the same way with Morris, once he gets to the Celtics, the shots will be different, the mindset will be different, and I would, I just simply, uh, and I'm choosing to believe at this point um, in the in the middle of summer that uh, that those percentages will rise. Bullish
0: on Marcus Morris. I am I am certainly surprised, but nonetheless, you are as bullish as anybody on Kelly olinick You know this. Last week, we had our newest hire to CLNS Media, Mike Petralia, who yesterday was down at Gillette Stadium covering the Patriots for training camp. All the videos, pressers up on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash CLNS Media. Avery Bradley may be the better player than Kelly O'Linick. If you're going to have one of these giant, massive drafts where you're drafting every single player throughout the league, Avery Bradley is going to be taken by every single team possible, probably before Kelly O'Linick. Nonetheless, I personally think that Kelly Olenek is going to be a bigger loss because I am not sure they are going to fill the skills, the unique skills that Olynyk brought. I'm still not totally sold on Marcus Morris being able to do that. Avery Bradley, I think they're going to be able to. We're certainly going to get that part of that discussion a little later as we go on. How about, where do you, bigger loss for the Celtics, Olynyk or Bradley?
1: Uh, I, I guess I'm going to go with the Linux. I, I like Bradley. I should like Bradley more um, from a coaching perspective. But for some reason, um, there's just something about him. Like, you know, I know he's, he's his shooting really improved to the point where you cannot deny the guy is – as close to an elite shooter as you're going to get. And by the way, that's another reason why maybe Morris, I think, will shoot better, too, because of that progression that we saw with Bradley. Uh, he's a great defender, probably, you know, top two or three in the league on the perimeter, right? Like, I can't think of too many guys who are as good as him. Um, but undersized, um, and, you know, and I can't say he doesn't come through in the, in the clutch because he did it in the in the playoffs as well. So, um I don't know. I'm torn because you're right. The things that um, Olympic does, and if he continues to develop and get better, now you can have a guy at the five position that could play like a three-ish. And that is a lot more profound of an effect on the game than uh, you know, a smaller two-guard doing his thing.
0: Yeah, I'll get into this a little bit later when we get into the lineups because you just mentioned how you don't know what the starting lineup is going to be coach. And I'm one who's very confident that Jalen Brown is going to be in it to give that component of defensive versatility. Talked about it with Traggs last week. But but anyways, this is our official offseason review show for the Celtics. One in which we can finally do in the first week of August and doing it with you, you know. Nick, you're doing your off-season grades for every team on your B-Ball Breakdown podcast available to listeners on the CLNS Media Network mobile app. You haven't gotten to the Celts yet, so we're actually going to steal it here to accommodate our dear listeners. So, Coach Nick, grade for the Celtics for their summer of 2017.
1: You know, you got to give them a solid, you know, I would say B for getting uh, for getting Hayward and then Morris. Uh, by the way, I like Baines, too. You know, I'm going to give him a B plus. And maybe by the end of the show, I'll be an A-minus. We'll see. But uh, I I like those moves because I think Baines – now, remind me, is is Amir Johnson still there? Gone.
0: Gone. Philadelphia.
1: Oh, okay, right. So I like that because I just felt like Amir was not really that effective. And I feel like Baines can be can be effective in his role, too, as a a guy as like the third big man off the bench. So I like what they did. But you have to imagine and then also drafting Tatum, uh, that whole move, which we can get into in a minute, too. uh, You know, a lot of great moves. I just feel like we're left wanting when you realize that Paul George went to OKC for what he went for. And I know that Danny H must be scratching his head too because that deal they ended up making with OKC in Indiana, that deal would have been there for weeks. They didn't have to take that deal right away when they did. So it's really confusing to me on a lot of uh, levels. We
0: know. We know. But it's more an indictment on OKC, man, not the Celtics. And I would love, okay. to, I would love to say – But it, it, you just – I thought brought it up that – I mean I would love to say that it was probably the, the worst non-move or the best non-move or – Whatever about this offseason with the Celtics, I think we can unanimously agree on that. I would I would love to have a segment on it, but I mean we can agree that probably you know miss quote unquote missing out on Paul George, you know just ended up having. But how about the how about the uh, draft day trade? What do you think of the draft day trade? Because that would be the only other uh, you know quote unquote worst move or potential for or maybe even best move. So what do you think of the trade on draft day?
1: You know, it's interesting because they already had a, a kind of a full backcourt in theory with Isaiah Thomas and uh, Avery Bradley at the time uh, and, Mar- and Marcus Smart. Uh, and Rogier. then, you know, even Rozier is coming up. Right. And so but, you know, it's hard to it's hard to imagine because Fultz is really going to be really good. And but do they want to have a rookie point guard running the show in the midst of like competing with Cleveland for the uh, the I don't conference? Think he final? would have been
0: running a show this year, though.
1: Uh well he would not I mean running, you, you know the show this year it would have been about right, so setting it up we, for future
0: years maybe in the post takes, the takes for era. spot
1: fair enough yeah. so I, I suppose what they looked at it, it was like you know I mean this is the kind of guy that you want to install and give him all that you know all the experience right away and get him developing quicker because he is that good and they weren't going to be able to do that I guess what they were thinking and so um and they I guess they're all in on it they're not going to trade him and you know which I think they should um but. So, so it makes sense to me that they would have said, "Okay, we can kind of get uh, some some more out of this uh, this stuff," uh, you know. And so, but the only thing that's weird is that they, you know, they add um, Tatum, and you know, I, he's now going to languish. He's probably not going to play hardly at all this year, right, behind all these forwards. And so, you never know. Uh, I
0: didn't think Jalen Brown was going to play much last year, and they ended up just still getting even when he was playing atrocious in you know around December. They were still finding a way to give him four to six minutes a night in the second quarter, and sure enough, he worked his way into the rotation. So I, I would not yeah. be so quick on that.
1: Well, but yeah, but, but okay. So let's just pretend he's developed more. He's got that experience. He's ahead of him. So is Marcus Morris probably? So is um uh, uh what's his face um from Marquette um
0: oh Crowder oh my God Crowder what Crowder
1: Crowder is ahead of him. Uh, you might I don't know if we consider Hayward a two guard or a, th- a three. You know what I mean? So it's like I don't know. It just feels like there's not going to be a ton of. I mean, I'll be willing to go on the record and say he's not going to get. He won't get eight minutes a game. I don't think. Ooh, okay. All right. I, I just don't see it unless they make a move or somebody gets hurt. You know, which is always a possibility always as well. A possibility. I think he could. Uh, I think he could supplant anything that
0: Marcus Morris does towards the end of the season. I'm a little bearish on Morris compared to to what you you know you've been thinking, but I guess yeah. That, that, right. I hate to use the political of. We will have to wait and see to find out. Nonetheless, uh, we are going to have to wait and see to find out. You made an interesting point about Isaiah Thomas. That is the underlying storyline of the offseason, no question about it, in that he is going to be pretty much in the future plans for the Celtics. That was the whole thing as it, as it came down with the trade. But now that we're on this trade, so I've got to make a mental note, Isaiah Thomas thing that you said. But We are on the, the trade, the Hayward signing. So I asked for the worst move or the worst non-move. What was the best move? Was the best move signing Gordon Hayward? Was the best move the draft day trade? After all, what was the best move? Was the best move uh, the Marcus Morris trade? Which I never know I could get from you. What was the yeah, best uh, move? Seltz made.
1: Yeah, I, no, I, no. I mean, listen. I, obviously, I think the best move is Hayward is getting him, and they wanted him, and they wanted to reunite him with uh, Brad Stevens. Um, I mean, I, I don't think that he is the best player on a uh, on a Finals team. Uh, Hayward is not. Um, but and I think we've seen his ceiling. I think what he did last year is what he's going to do. and I think that's fine. It's a really good, you know, uh, upgrade at that position. Um, you know, but the question is, do you disrupt the the, the the subtle chemistry they had going and they were building? And you know, it, it, there are. That's some, why some I players- asked you
0: at the very beginning of this podcast: Did the Celtics get better? And you said yeah. yes.
1: They did. I mean, they they did on talent standpoint. Again, we're going to pull the political. We'll have to wait and see a little bit here because, um, you know, but here's the thing. If there was anybody but but, um, Gordon Hayward, then you might think, oh, he's going to be very disruptive and whatever. But Hayward seems to be the kind of player that's going to blend in and be able to find his spots. In in fact, he might be uh, too deferential in the beginning. I I can almost feel that until he says, you know what, I, I need to be more of the man, although he's going to have to deal with Isaiah. And um, you know what? The, I don't know. It's you know, there's so many moving parts here, uh, but I would predict that Hayward's going to come in and average his 22 points a game and shoot, you know, pretty pretty well from three, um, and get his assists. Get you know three and a half assists. I think that's what we're going to get from him, which may might be enough.
0: Describe here because I know you were a little burned out to do so on your YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash/Breakdown, to actually do a. Gordon Hayward in the Celtics offense breakdown visually. So the biggest challenge for you, man, is going to have to do it uh, in an audio format and create pictures for our audience who can actually <laughs> only s- hear you. If they want to see you, they got to go to your YouTube channel. But nonetheless, yeah. for them to hear you, you're going to have to describe – how the Celtics will utilize Hayward in the offense and really just th- th- describe the whole offense.
1: So what you're going to see with Hayward in the offense for the Celtics is probably what they're going to plug him into what the Avery Bradley role was. And you're going to see a lot of sort of driving kick and maybe some early offense, or some handoffs or maybe a quick, uh, pick and roll on top to get the defense moving. Uh, and that's really what is similar to what the jazz did. So I feel like Hayward will be very comfortable, uh, jumping into this offense. Uh, I do hope that they're going to give him some more post-ups as well, uh, because he'll probably have some size advantages on some of the players that are guarding him. And also, uh, I have to imagine you're going to find, uh, Hayward driving more and generating more free throws than Avery Bradley. Uh, and I think that's going to be the difference. And, in fact, if he embraces that the man role more um, and being that number one option or, you know, maybe if Isaiah Thomas is out, then you'll see him driving even more to, and have, like, a career high in, in free, uh, free throw attempts. And that will all really help the Celtics' offense. Um, and the only question left is, is what happens down the stretch in the end. They already have the guy they need in Isaiah Thomas in theory. And as him as a second guy in that setting uh, I think would really help them. And he could be that guy that can knock down, um, you know, tough shots. Uh, in pressure situations as a second guy. So, you know, I'm intrigued, and I think that eventually they'll they'll work it out. It might take a little bit of time, but uh, eventually they're going to be a dangerous club and down the stretch.
0: Episode number 221 of Celtics Beat is being presented by Audible. Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. One book I would suggest is from CLNS Media's very own and frequent guest on Celtics Beat, the legendary Bob Ryan. Get Mr. Ryan's memoirs, scribe my life in sports, immerse yourself in the well-versed sporting world over on iconic. Journalistic career that spanned nearly fifty years here in the hub. And for your loyal listenership to CLNS Media, Audible is offering our listeners a free audio book with a thirty-day trial membership. Just go to Audible.com slash speed and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to Audible.com slash speed That's Audible.com slash Celticspeet and get started today.
1: So more Brad Stevens experimentation. And to the to the expense of perhaps wins and losses, wouldn't you say? Well, it played out last year and the season before that
0: and the season before that, so that's kind of a safe prediction.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. And, that, and you know what? It, it, it worked out okay. They made the conference finals. They got a game. Uh, they now improved, so you know the, the process is working for me.
0: Well, they've improved every as a team every year under Brad Stevens, so that's been a trend. Uh, it's going to be tough this year to meet that accomplishment. I mean, that that's north of fifty-five wins in the NBA Finals now. Uh, if, we, if we have time, I can ask that later. But but one thing on our agenda, Coach, and we're back here on Celtics Beat with Clns Media Contributor B-Ball Breakdowns, Coach Nick. Made a mental note on this podcast out loud to save it. You got subtle shots in at Isaiah Thomas, so I figure now is the time. Am I laying it on a T for you by asking which Celtic is most likely to regress this coming season? I mean, one would think the easy choice would be Al Horford, but I don't know. Is it IT? I
1: mean, my first instinct would be at Horford. I've been really down on Horford for the last year anyway, and it might be irrational. Um, and let's just make it clear. You know, Isaiah Thomas, I was the first guy on the Isaiah Thomas bandwagon. You were okay? the I first loved him. ever. Yeah,
0: and, and you like put yourself I, out there the most as well.
1: You, yeah, you wouldn't believe how much. I mean, I had people like trying to look into me to discredit me personally because of that video I did about Isaiah versus Kyrie after their rookie years. So um, I love Isaiah. I know him. He's a great guy. Uh, it's it's it, it's enthralling to watch him play. I mean, really, is amazing what he's done. So I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, rain on that parade at all. Um, I do feel like. There might be some limit there as far as, you know, the bottom line is the defensive side is just, they're, they're really, they struggle with him in there, even though he's uplifted them enough to get him to where they needed to go on a lot of those games. So um, I don't know. It just felt like, you know, they probably could have gotten a lot for him. And if they would have gotten Fultz and you plug him in and develop him, you know, quickly. Then, then man, it seems like they're ready to take the step for championship level. Uh, and I, I but I, you know, is that what I'm saying? I guess what I'm saying is, is Isaiah Thomas a starter on a title team? I, I don't. I guess I'm a starter. I'm, I think
0: he can a starter.
1: Can he? Can he start on a championship team?
0: Yeah, of course he could.
1: Okay, well, I guess that's where I'm. I'm hedging at this point right now, and so we'll have to. We'll have to see. So I, I just, I don't know. I'm looking in long term.
0: No, listen. It is the story of the off season that trade the Celtics made. Prior to draft night, when they passed on Markel Fultz, because I personally thought, I thought it was a slam dunk that they were going to be able to bring Markel Fultz in here and almost play. I don't know, this is a a bad example, but you sort of get my drift. Aaron Rodgers behind Brett Favre for a little bit, let him, uh, you you know, and and be able to do that. Then that way, in, you know, coming years, you let Isaiah Thomas go. You don't want to pay him what we all think is a little questionable. We pay him a, a pretty sufficient max salary for what's going to be years north of 30. Yet right. that trade, it wasn't just oh we thought Jason Tatum was the best player available. That trade in itself was yeah we believe in Isaiah Thomas down the line. I'm skeptical of that. I know you're very skeptical of that. You said that the Celtics should explore trading or should trade him.
1: Yeah, well Which I mean I was the guy who said they, they needed to trade McHale uh, when they but, you know but when they, they they didn't do that and they should have. Oh I remember uh, when you said that. You know, and so it's like you know, it's a business, and it's terrible. I know it, and you know he's a hero, and I you never want to do that. That's why they didn't trade McHale or anybody. But this is also a business. If you're looking, you know, you got to you got to be able to keep going and have your your you know the team keeps playing after these guys are done playing, and it was it was a good opportunity from a general manager standpoint to to get the most value you'll ever get for him ever. And they, you know, they decided not to do that. They're going to ride it out, and that's fine. Um, you know, hip injuries also make me very, yeah, very how, nervous. I was
0: gonna, I was, that had me right on the agenda. How do you think he's going to come back from that? Especially since he didn't have surgery.
1: So you know what? You have to remind me because I can't remember exactly what the hip injury was. He was in the
0: playoffs against Washington?
1: Oh, yeah. Are you I mean, asking
0: me for anatomy? No, I don't think. Was so. it like
1: a torn labrum, or I don't remember what they said, or just 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 a general hip thing?
0: I do not recall. I'm going to played- have to bump your gums, and I'm going to have to Google it
1: we we um we uh he played through it right for yes he uh, got hurt
0: against Washington that is what i do know
1: and then and, and then, then he, a
0: couple games against cleveland it didn't really work out
1: right and so um so that was you know concerning to me because you know a lot of times those hip injuries you know yeah they they it feels okay for a little bit and then you realize oh my god i can't this is it's too excruciating so um that is a real interesting issue And that's something you have to watch out for because it can linger. It could cause the hip could actually be back, and it could be, you know, presenting itself as a hip injury. So that said, I I have the feeling that the um, Celtics have a pretty good medical staff, so they'll be able to keep it up. Well, they
0: just they just basically cleaned house there.
1: They did. Okay. Well, there's there's some serious red flags, age and hip and all those things. So um, you know. I don't know. I'm worried because he's not like he needs that. He needs every ounce of his, you know, uh, water bug movement uh, to to succeed. And uh, a couple inches here or there, those shots get blocked. You know, he doesn't get them over the big guy. And uh, and then all of a sudden they, they have a problem.
0: Well, you're correct, though. He had a labral tear. Actually, he suffered it in early March. I knew you know, it was very evident against uh, Washington in the playoffs. And you'll have to help me with femoral, femoral, Oh, boy, I'm really going to just destroy what little credibility I have left on this podcast trying to pronounce this femoral ectolabar impingement.
1: Yes. So that's what I had. I actually, that. Oh. And that's sort of why I know what this is. And okay, I've had two, two surgeries it, on it. it. Uh, you know what? And I never got back to my <laughs> to my my original all star status. Um, but, uh, you know, when you're young enough there and I had it young, I had the surgery when I was like 37 and recovered pretty well, but, uh, it's brutal and it's tough. The first surgery didn't work. I had to have a, a different kind of surgery the second time. Um, but it also sen- tends to indicate, uh, structural issues that are, you can't escape, you know, it's just the beginning of the end of arthritis. and yeah, like,
0: like posture and, 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 and compensate how you let alone walk, but even run? Right, them.
1: exactly. It's mechanics and it's hard to change mechanics at this age. We saw Steph Curry do that with his ankles and uh, it, by the way, out of all that, uh, the way he changed the way he moved, he became uh you know, the, probably the best point guard of all time. Um and so, you know, that's a great story and that could happen as well, but you got to you got to really get out there and be uh aware of uh, of mechanics and all that stuff. That's like, you know, next level stuff that a lot of NBA teams sort of are in touch with, but uh, we'll have to see whether or not that's going to take, and if they have him on that kind of program.
0: Yeah, it's not good. I've always been very skittish of him north of thirty, largely because many small guards, such as Isaiah Thomas, the real one, Allen Iverson, really do not have a great career after the age of thirty. I mean, once you I mean the biggest thing that Isaiah, this Isaiah, has going for him really is his speed, and if you start losing a shred of agility, of speed. That's that. That's all the difference in the world of getting to the basket and getting around a defender and getting a shot over defender or not.
1: Uh, right. So. And the way he does it, by the way, is he gets into the body of the guy. So he does take a pounding. Uh, and that's not, it's not surprising that like, you know, those are the kind of injuries you get in the hips because you're leveraging your, um, your speed and weight into the body and then kind of uh, taking the contact and finishing. It might not even get the foul, but he's, but that, that threat of the contact there ends up getting the uh, opening he needs. And so, uh, you know, it's not great. I wish him the best, and I really hope that he recovers 100%, but you're right. It's a, it's a lot of red, red flags right now.
0: Isaiah, most likely to regress, but still most likely an all-star. Same as Al yeah. Horford. He could regress, but I think at a, at a slow rate, and he's going to be able to do, especially now that it looks like, I mean, I think even he is resigned to being a center uh, next year, which I think is going right. to be very beneficial to him and to the Celtics.
1: Well, look at it this way, and Isaiah averaged 29 points a game last year. The next highest was Avery Bradley at 16.3. I can guarantee you that Gordon Hayward's going to average more points, more shots. Well, who's going to give those shots up? I would imagine Isaiah would end up having to give up some of those shots, and that would then indicate that he'd go down to, you know, probably 25 a game, 24. But you're right. If he's at 25... And, you know, six assists and, you know, three rebounds. Like, you know, that's probably he, – he still would be a really – he probably would feel robbed if he didn't make the All-Star game.
0: Internal improvements from the team. Feels like the only candidate really is Jalen Brown, just by default. Yeah. I guess you could go deep and say, well Terry Rozier. I'll throw one real wild card at you. You said he is what he is earlier in the podcast. I'm not sure. This man's made improvements every single year, just like Gabriel Bradley, except at an even more substantial level. Gordon Hayward has gotten better every single year he's been in the league, but most likely to make uh, in- internal improvements.
1: Um. I, yeah. I don't know. I think I like. Um, I like Rozier uh, as a possible guy. You know, like I was watching Patrick McCaw in the summer league for the Warriors, and he has made like a two hundred percent jump uh, in that brief time. And I can only imagine that, you know, that Rosier should get more, uh, you know, confidence coming out of that last season. And, and there were signs. That's the other thing. You saw little bits and pieces of that. But yeah, yeah I would think that Jalen Brown, yeah, I, I would be shocked if he started. I don't know why I'd be shocked. He just feels like I wasn't I wasn't okay. on my radar. Yeah.
0: I, I want to ask you right now on the dime then why you would be shocked if he would start. You know, they were you know 10 1 with him in the starting lineup last year.
1: Oh, they were? Okay, that's a good stat. When- um, I mean,. In January, I can't,
0: if, yeah, in January, when uh, Avery Bradley initially went out with an injury, they played very well. Effectively, yeah, yeah, they and, were.
1: Yeah. Sorry. And, and by the way, and you're right. And you know what? He's got a very mature game for a young guy, which is which always was uh, something that made me really excited about him. So, yeah, I mean, listen, m- maybe they say, okay, we're going to give you the keys, and, and we're going to start the season off with you, and you know, we'll see how it goes. If it, if it ends up being a problem, they, I'm sure Stevens wouldn't hesitate to change things up, but. Um, I, I like that idea, and certainly the, the options they have out of that defensively. The defense, uh, that's
0: what I was going to get to you, because if you have that lineup, and I'm interrupting you because that's what I do very, very well. You have a lineup, well, not with Isaiah, but okay. Isaiah, Jalen at the two, Gordon Gordon Hayward, Jay Crowder up front, Al Horford. I feel like that you put that lineup out there, they're playing a sufficient amount of time together. I think Boston's defense is far more apt to return to form that we were accustomed to in 2015 and 2016 a lot more length, a lot more versatility, and also Horford back at, back at center, which is, I think, very important as well.
1: Right. No, I, I like that. I, I mean, yeah, I, I like going small with Crowder at the power forward. I, I, I think he he is that prototypical power forward we're going to see going forward anyway. Um, and by the way, he might be a guy who makes a little bit of a jump. You never know. Like maybe with, with um, uh, Hayward in there taking some pressure off of people and making some more space – you know, sometimes it's the guys that you know that he'll get some more open shots, maybe. And he already proved that he shot really well from three during the regular season. So, you know what? Crowder could be that guy that makes another jump too, maybe. You know, and is able to get some more rebounds and stuff like that too. So, um, it's really, really intriguing. And they have a lot of different possibilities now because if that's the starting lineup, and you have a nice little bench coming off the uh, off the bench as well. And, um, and and again, as far as I can tell, they're solidified as the number two team in the East. Uh, I don't think that you know Toronto is ultimately going to make it. And then we have to see Washington did absolutely nothing in the offseason when they, had, they were the only other team that had any chance to make a significant jump, and they completely just punted.
0: Yeah, even did you see the ESPN projections that came out? Our man Kevin Pelton, good friend. I, I was almost going to say I should have had Kevin Pelton on this show over you, Coach Nick, because he was, he does a, KP does a really good job of getting in the news in August. It's incredible. Uh, <laughs> he put out the projections about the Celtics with 49 wins, yet that being good enough for the one seed. Uh, I thought that was, like, just, like,
1: wow. I, it wasn't just what the 49 kind of win for wins, that
0: was a wow, because I made a point here with Drags last week, which actually Pelton said that was a, a part of the reason which came, well, the Celts came out of 49 wins, was, you know, their point differential last year was, like, I think, like, 2.6 or 2.4 or something like that, which was not very good, and it was something I remember I, I said on your uh, B-Ball Breakdown podcast on the CLNS Media Network mobile app when I was on your show back in January, I kept saying, like, yeah, this team is due for aggression of the means. This team's due for aggression of this means. They're they're due for aggression of the means. They keep winning all these close games, and they just kept winning freaking close games all the way through till the first week of June in the Eastern Conference Finals. KP was saying, you know, that like, that could find that could come back uh, to bite them a little bit next year. But so, what did you make if, if you saw well, them at all?
1: Well, listen, I love Kevin Pelton, and you know, I, you I like him. to think I'm infinitely more interesting and exciting, right? But um, however, I don't see how you can possibly. Uh, base any prediction on this year from last year's team because it's so radically different now when you have Hayward in the lineup it doesn't you know what I mean it's just it, and you're missing some other guys so nothing from last year would really indicate to me how you'd be able to predict that accurately I, I could see him plugging in PER and all kind of stuff to figure out you know with the current team but man if he's using anything from last year then that's probably I would disagree vehemently with that
0: I want to go back a little bit on predictions because we were talking about internal improvements you we were talking about starting lineup predictions do you have if you've looked at all over do you have any interesting five-man units the Celts could use let alone be in the starting lineup or something popular you know off the bench in the second quarter because you just said that you really like Boston's potential bench if they went with Thomas Brown uh, Hayward Crowder Horford do you have if you thought if you give that one shred of thought whatsoever coach
1: yeah, I mean I'm thinking you could do some really fun stuff um, where – I mean you can go really – it's usually when you go small, right? That's when you yeah. kind of figure out – Yeah, I hate you know, the so big
0: lineup that people would throw on. Oh, Baines at the center, Horford at the floor. That, that would be not good in my opinion or Seasons at the five or whatever.
1: Well, let me say this because I do feel like there is – You know, people are like, oh, you can't play two traditional big men at the same time anymore. and I, I kind of disagree with that. I mean I never like to have anyone tell me never of anything. But um, you know, then the, the other question is, okay, if you want to go really small, then then who do you have at center, right, that can really do that and they don't really have anybody else besides Warford and Baines. Right? What's that? Mark Marcus.
0: Yeah,
1: it would be insane. Like yeah, that's what you would because, like yeah, when you see like even Kevin Durant at center, like that's really when it's fun um and they don't have a guy like that uh as far as i can tell so you're right you know if you want to do it yeah you run out marcus morris at center but then you can go big in the backcourt you can go like uh hayward and um and like even like jalen brown in the backcourt something crazy like that right marcus smart yeah you know marcus yeah or marcus smart but he's not big right i mean small
0: well, right. he's six four, but he's I mean he's strong enough to guard folk, you he, know, power forward sometimes. I want to sometimes. stand
1: next to him. Is he a legit six four?
0: Uh, he's listed. We don't know, uh, right? That's I even mean, was a legit. Just like Isaiah I, I Thomas see. is really five seven, not five nine. Right, right.
1: I mean, yeah, I I did an interview with Isaiah Thomas, and I'm six feet. You can see that there, whatever he's listed as wrong. But I, you know, Marcus Martin, Terry Rozier, I want to see them stand next to each other because I think that they're probably the same height. But Either way, uh, but, you know, why not, why not go huge in the backcourt with, like, yeah, with Jalen Brown and, like, Gordon Hayward and then go tiny with Marcus Morris at center and then you throw out there, you know, hell, then you could do, like, Jay Crowder and Marcus Smart that way. That's even weirder, but uh, I don't know. That would be fun. I, I doubt that ever <laughs> would happen, but um, that's the kind of stuff. I like big backcourts and I like small centers, so that's what I'm looking at.
0: Duly passed along to Brad Stevens. He uh, sincerely takes your words and your visuals very seriously, as we saw in January. <laughs> um, this is my favorite. I did this last week. Really shouldn't have been on the off-season review show. By the way, we are, what, uh, 35 minutes into this? Have you raised your grade yet, or is it still at B-plus? You started at B, went to B-plus in five seconds. You said maybe uh, yeah, I'm.
1: Minus. No, I'm still so at give b Give me the final one now. One in
0: red ink, B plus. Okay, this is the fun question. I love. I I had Mike Petralia here last week, as we mentioned on episode two twenty of Celtics B. and we did a schedule predictions because I don't know why I love having you know you know doing some fun with predicting the schedule. He brought up a very good point when he said that he expects the Celtics to play the Cavs on Christmas Day, largely because. The NBA doesn't really want to stack the deck with one really game that's, worth, that's really worth watching to the casual NBA fan on Christmas. Spread, you know, spread the love around a little bit. Maybe Celtics Cavs uh, have Golden State play the Spurs. Golden State play the Rockets. That'd be very interesting. And then he had Celtics Sixers on opening night, which I thought was very pragmatic in its own right. I am, making make it official, I am Celtics Cavs in the opener. Celtics Lakers is the back end of that quintuple header on Christmas. Give me your little Celtics predictions, opener and Christmas. I guess we don't really care about anything else.
1: Right. You know, I, I, it's interesting because the Christmas Day thing is where I went first, and I thought, you know, if they're going to try and spread the love around and not do, you know, Cavs-Warriors, then, yeah, it kind of makes sense to do Cavs-Celtics, although I still feel like they might end up doing, you know, Celtics-Lakers as a throwback, yeah, although that, that doesn't even mean anything to anybody anymore, it feels like at this point. Uh, but the Lakers actually might be a surprising team. Um, the Sixers are also really intriguing, and that does sound like a certain – You know, they, I, I feel like they want to start the season with guys with, uh, without teams traveling too far, um, and that kind of makes sense too with the Celtics and the Sixers. And by the way, Philly should be a team that everybody in the East is, fra- is, is, is frightened of. I mean they, they have the potential to be a re- really good team very quickly. Really um, good
0: team? So that means playoff team automatically, not to turn this into Sixers yeah. beat and steal everything from yeah. Derek Bodner, but. I, I, and I remember, you, you can look
1: at the historic, right and the historical jump. Like, oh, no team has ever gone from like whatever t- twenty wins to forty. But nineteen eighty Celtics, when yeah, they added well, Larry they, Bird, but they tanked, didn't they tank the year before?
0: No, they were just they were just terrible. They were terrible in seventy eight and terrible in seventy nine, and that rookie Larry Bird showed up and they won sixty.
1: Hey, I wouldn't have put it past Red Arbach to, to to tank without knowing what he was doing. Like, they didn't have a name for it. But at any anyway, rate... Uh, no, <laughs> those probably were knew terrible about,
0: teams back then. Those late 70s remember, Celtics he, were dark.
1: They knew about Larry Bird ahead of time. And they drafted him... Remember, they drafted him early before, before he came yeah, out. I know, so I could... They, they Once they drafted Bird that year before, they knew they were going to tank because they weren't getting a good player that, that year. They had to wait. So I don't know. And that, by the way, that led to the whole, you know, everything else, the steal of uh, McHale and um, Parrish. But nonetheless... So where were we? We're talking about um The six ends uh, being
0: Sixers. a playoff team next year.
1: Yeah. So because of their artificially low record, uh them getting to normal respectability where they should be, uh it would would might break historical norms, so it wouldn't be surprising to me. Um but uh so yeah, I can go I think that makes the most sense to me right now is you know, like, you know, because the Knicks, otherwise is like, the Celtics Knicks or something like that, like trying to try and revive that kind of notion. But I like that idea of the Philly and the Celtics to start. And then I'm thinking Lakers-Celtics uh, Christmas Day. OK.
0: All right. So you stole each one from each of us. Yes. Little, it is August and we went a little bit down the line with some historical. Are you doing any uh, histo- history runs there on b Breakdown in August as we get closer somewhat to training camp? It is the dog days after all.
1: Oh, it is. It is. And, you know, I'm, here's what I'm going to do right now today, and maybe I'll reach it tomorrow is uh, I want to do a video entitled "Is Isaiah Thomas Better Than Allen Iverson?" We've
0: had that discussion.
1: Yeah, I said and last I year like,
0: that his his season last year was better than AI's 01 MVP year.
1: Yeah, I mean, because I, I I have to kind of try and dive into some actual game footage to see. Uh, to remind myself of Iverson's defensive prowess or lack thereof, uh, to see if there's any comparison there. But yeah, I mean, uh, the the season that Isaiah Thomas had last year, man, um, yeah, uh, probably eclipses whatever you know. Uh, there's no, there was a 30-point game. You know, there, there was a couple of those in, in Iverson's career too, but uh, it was on much lower um, per, um, uh, field goal percentage, right?
0: Yes, like 39, 41 percent. He was always in and around that area. Apologies for the microphone issues. We got some static there. Luckily, the computer input served in the emergency situation. That could have really gone away. So I hope it was of service, our conversation with Coach Nick. Because uh, there it was, the capper on the Celtics offseason. You know, I pushed it off as far as I humanly could. Not by choice, actually. I was going to do it here uh, two weeks ago. But uh, we were told uh, there were a few things going on, a few things still to happen. And uh, boom, Celtics signed Shane Larkin to a guaranteed contract creating a new potential and riveting storyline for the all-important final roster spot heading into training camp one storyline is going to dominate the celtics blogosphere and internet communities come september oh we eagerly await and of course the other move or moves made around then that pertaining to the medical staff i just wanted to say that uh I'm very happy that everyone in the local media is conveniently on board after the fact uh, with some of the calls that were made around here a numerous times over the last four years on this particular podcast. Thank you. There was no reason for me to harp on it. Uh, if I had to applaud one move besides the Hayward signing, that was it. But yes, I, I'm, right now I'm very, very happy those in the local media uh, the local terrestrial media sp- specifically have have come around at this opportune time. We were happy to be of service. Eat your grass-fed organic steak while you're at it too, by the way. Nonetheless, that was Coach Nick of Beeball Breakdown. Follow and converse with the man on Twitter at Beeball Breakdown, YouTube.com slash B Ball Breakdown. And of course, listen to him on the CLNS Media Network mobile app, the Beeball Breakdown Podcast. Before we go, do want to pass along a plug that pertains to yours truly. Tomorrow on the CLNS Media mobile app, I will be hosting a show not on the Celtics, not on sports. First off, we want to officially welcome the Emerson College Polling Society. Many of you who followed last year's U.S. elections are very familiar with ECPS uh, as being one of the most accurate polls in the political field. So tomorrow, that being Monday, August 7th, I will be hosting the Emerson College Polling Weekly Podcast tomorrow, that is. I'll be talking to noted polling expert, Professor Spencer Kimball, previewing the Republican primary for Jeff Sessions' U.S. Senate seat in Alabama. The fate of the country is at stake, so do tune in, if for no other reason. Hear me, I guess. So, we'll cap the Boston Celtics 2017 offseason in review extravaganza on episode number 2 one of Celtics Beat on that. Today's show was presented by Audible. If you want to listen to it, Audible has it with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio titles, news, comedy, and more. You'll find what you're looking for. Get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial today by signing up at audible.com slash Celticsbeat. All one word, Celticsbeat. Music for today's show was provided by Chuck Dietz and Steph Legratto. For graphic designer Scott Dillon, the founder of the network, Nick Gelso. this is Larry A. Trussell, the executive producer and host, signing off for Celticsbeat powered by CLNS Media.